It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Coming up, a deep dive into the Vikings draft class and early training camp battles. Plus, did the Vikings find a UDFA gem on Saturday night? It's all coming up next on the special draft edition of the football party. Locked on Sports Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota football party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings Insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Back in the lab, another edition of the Football Party on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota Network, your daily breakdown, everything Minnesota Vikings. You can now find it streaming on your Roku or Amazon Fire Stick devices. Just look out for and download our Lockdown Sports Minnesota app there as well. That's Sam Ekstrom on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom, co-host of the Ron Johnson Show every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Sam, another just bananas draft in the books, man. Absolutely crazy, like they always are. But, man, three quarterbacks in the first four picks, two running backs in the first 12. Playoffs? Let's talk about playoffs. Who's drafting running backs in the top 12? What are we doing? What else? We got back-to-back-to-back-to-back wideouts in the middle of round one. Oh, and 41 trades in all, which set a new draft record. It just seems like teams are getting more and more flexible and aggressive going to get their guy now that teams are allowed to trade these uh, compensatory picks as well. Mel Kuyper has been covering the draft for 40 years. He said this year, this year's draft, was the wildest one he's ever seen. Here's my question, though. Did everybody win the draft? Because... You start to do all these post-draft articles. You read through them. All the draft experts are handing out their grades. Normally, there's always at least five or six teams that were just garbage. And two or three of those got straight up Fs. You know, it's usually the Texans or the Patriots because Bill Belichick is, he's going to draft Bill Belichick kind of guys. But this year, it's like the lowest grades I saw were like C, C plus, maybe a C minus. I don't know if the draft pundits were just being a little too nice this year or what. What was your overall thoughts on draft weekend? And was there a draft that you just absolutely hated that you just didn't like? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I, in my wisdom over the years, in my uh, great, vast experience covering this draft, I have come to learn that we really know nothing. Um, And that your draft can often be defined by a couple of things. Like if you if you nail your first round pick, um, like the Vikings did with Christian Derrissaw a couple of years ago, or Justin Jefferson, um, that might define your draft. That might be the one piece you take away, and you'll look back and say, "Yeah, we nailed it. Good draft." Or you might hit on a couple late round guys, and that is your definition of success. To say, "Yeah, we found value in the late rounds," but ultimately, the verdict does not get out for so long that it's so hard to really put a grade to it now to see how you did. And I know like Luke Braun, for instance, joked that he boycotts grades. And I kind of like that. I kind of like not, not putting a grade to it. I gave the Vikings a B minus for the record, but uh, I I felt like on day three, 
I was just seeing so many names that I expected to be gone well before, particularly in the cornerback position. A couple of those quarterbacks I thought would be also gone. Uh, Jaron Hall, for instance, I thought could be a, a higher pick. Um, I think that the prospect pools are just getting deeper and deeper. You know, we had the COVID year in college football, obviously. So there was just a lot more players that had more tape. And I, I think there were a lot more draftable players in the top, you know, three, 400. Um, and that's part of the reason why it was so crazy, why some guys were so overvalued or undervalued. And you had these big discrepancies between the consensus board and where they were really picked. So I think that, that in this kind of crazy climate of college football just makes it all the more unpredictable. No, well said. And you and I are doing a quick backpedal now. We were both on the Hendon Hooker train. Not only does he not go in the first, doesn't go in the second, but he lands in the division. So now we kind of got to hope behind the scenes that, all right, maybe our evaluations were off and hopefully he doesn't turn into a 12-year starter in the NFC North. But you're totally right. Like You look back at some of the draft picks. And let's just think about quarterbacks specifically. So many guys that so many were high on that go, let's just say even just first-round quarterbacks, that you know it, it takes a few years for sure, but you look back and you go, man, huge swing and miss right there. Jake Locker, Titans, Washington, Blaine Gabbert. A lot of Vikings fans were hoping one of those two names would fall. Instead, they take Christian Ponder. I mean, Tim Tebow in the first round, Jimmy Clausen, Tons of first-round names. Robert Griffin III goes number two overall. I'm just looking at the, the list here. Ryan Tannehill, Brandon Whedon, Oklahoma State. Oldest quarterback ever taken in the first round. But again, a lot of hype on those guys at the time. A lot of people justifying why those were good picks at the time. But like you said, Sam, pump the brakes. We won't know until minimum four or five years, if not even longer. As far as the uh, worst teams go in the weekly Draft Buzz newsletter this week, I had the Niners and the Saints as two of my least favorite drafts. I get that John Lynch had no first or second because of the Christian McCaffrey trade, but you can't draft a kicker in round three. It's an automatic <laughs> for me. And as far as the Saints yeah. go, Brian Brzee and Isaiah Foskey, I mean, you got Two top 40 picks there. You can go bang, bang, do some serious damage. Yeah, Julius Brents on the board. Both uh, you and I, a big draft crush. Keon White, who I think is going to thrive in New England, landed in the perfect spot with Bill Belichick. Keanu Benton, Brian Branch, they were all sitting there. So those were the two teams I didn't love. Uh, first things first here, real quick. Speaking of the newsletter, by the way, if you haven't already, go sign up for the weekly NFL Draft newsletter up on the Locked On Podcast homepage. Punch in your email, get all the latest news and notes surrounding the NFL draft. Never too late to get signed up, by the way. I just published this week's edition yesterday with all the winners and losers. Next week, I may even dive into, check this out, Sam, the 2024 way too early mock draft because it's never too early to dive and take a peek at next year's class. You know Reggie Wilson is just going to absolutely love that. LockedOnPodcast.com slash newsletters. Go check it out and sign up for free today. Also, don't forget, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook partner of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. All right, let's dive into the A topic here. I don't know how much you guys touched on it yesterday, so I don't want to be too redundant for our listeners, but quick rundown of the Vikings draft picks and maybe where they fit in the Vikings depth chart, and then we'll get to some fun UDFAs here later on. Jordan Addison, uh, uh, Sam, I mean, 
Already talked about it here on night one Thursday night. Go check out the live reaction if you haven't already. But elevator pitch, I mean, here's the bad for here's the bad news, right? Fourth wide receiver drafted, three get sniped right before you. So immediately I wonder, all right, who'd you have higher on the board? I tend to think they really wanted Zay Flowers and just got beat to the punch. Mm-hmm. That happened. Yeah. The other problem, when three go right before you, it looked like they were doing everything they could to trade down, didn't it? I mean, they bled that clock all the way down, and then eventually they finally just get to the point where, well, now all these receivers are off the board. Addison's the only one left before a clear drop-off, and we don't really want to get screwed over and lose out on Addison now, too, if we move back even three, four, five picks like the Jags did with the Buffalo Bills just one pick later. And then I guess just lastly on the field, between the size, and the play style, I personally don't think he ever turns into a true wide receiver one in the NFL, which in the first round, that's what I want. I mean, it's a first round pick. I want number one wide receiver capabilities. I want that alpha dog, that true alpha number one type of receiver. I don't want to feel like I'm settling for just a complimentary guy, which By the way, I think he's the perfect compliment to J.J., perfect landing spot. But there's going to be times just throughout the next five years when J.J. misses a few games or he's hobbled, right? And is Addison capable of sliding into wide receiver one type of role in the NFL with this size and the play style? Personally, I'm a little skeptical. I want a T. Higgins, for example, to my Jamar Chase. I want a bona fide second wide receiver, number one. Maybe that's me being just a little nitpicky, but again, in the first round, mm. I just want high ceiling players. I think Addison, maybe not the highest ceiling of a guy like Zay Flowers or Quentin Johnston, but definitely one of the higher floors, which is good. Kind of a weak class, too, when you stack it up next to, you know, even last year's draft with Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Chris Olave. And I think that kind kind of pushed a lot of guys like Addison up the board. Good news, why I love him? Best route runner in the draft. And going all the way back to the first year, I really got into the draft and started watching the tape, grinding the film, scouting guys, going down to Mobile, Alabama, 2014. First thing I learned watching Amari Cooper from Alabama become a top seven pick and thrive in the NFL. The one thing at wide receiver at this position that trumps everything else is route running. Jordan Addison, Route running, he's got it in spades. Extremely clean, extremely polished route runner, which is why I think he truly is. He's a day one plug-and-play starter. Can't say that for a lot of wide receivers. And as far as the speed goes, people forget or maybe didn't find out or hear until later on, he did have a lower back strain at the combine. And his actual play tracking speed, I think it was PFF, Sam Munson said this, he was one of the fastest wide receivers in college football once he actually got out on the field. So uh, the dude can play. He's a baller. I just think, again, the ceiling is a bit limited in the NFL, especially for a first-round pick. But again, when you've got J.J. across from you, that's okay. I also think it kills two birds with one stone. One of the most under-the-radar stories that never got talked about for me, I don't think K.J. Osborne was a natural number two wide receiver. I think that would have been a disaster, honestly. And now everyone wins. Everyone can slide right in to their most natural position where KOC can now maximize everybody's best talents. J.J., true alpha number one. Addison, perfect complement number two. K.J. in that number three. Kind of Cooper Cup role, honestly, more than people realize if you go back and watch the tape. And then four, Jalen Naylor. Uh, Hawkinson, your number two slash number three weapon in the offense. 
now we're cooking, man. I mean, Sam, what's your thoughts on Addison, the prospect, just one last time here, and how it all looks once we get to August and step into training camp? Yeah, well, when the Vikings released the footage of KOC pacing around the room and almost praying, I think, that Kwesi doesn't trade out of the spot and saying to himself, this guy's a day-one starter. Mm -hmm. If that's how the head coach really feels, that's a pretty big endorsement. I, I, I know that a lot of people might view it as a panic move. Oh, the wide receivers were coming off the board. They were trying to trade out. They couldn't. They settled for the fourth wide receiver, a guy who's a little undersized um, and didn't run very, very well in his pro day. But again, Arif said yesterday, apparently the USC pro day had very poor conditions. Oh, it got it's like rained out. It, it, I don't yeah. even know if they did it. It, um, it was a monsoon. I know that. So again, we don't even know if that 449 is fully authentic. Uh, he does seem to carry his pads and, and play in game at a very high speed. I don't think speed's going to be a problem. Um, I don't think size is really going to be that much of a problem. I think that if you're burning, um, that's the, the best thing you can do. If you can run clean routes and just beat people to the spot, that's going to help you win in the NFL. Now, can he get off press? You know, as easily as Justin Jefferson can, I don't know. Uh, we'll maybe have to see that in action a little bit. That might be one detriment. But I think he's a great running mate. And he may never be a wide receiver one because of who he's playing with. Justin Jefferson may always be the top dog. And we'll see how that plays out as the years go by. But I've said this too. It's insurance in a couple of ways for Osborne. It's insurance because if Osborne doesn't work out as your wide receiver two, then you've got Addison. Or if Osborne does work out as your wide receiver too, Luke, what's he going to command in free agency next year? $15 million per year? Mm -hmm. Vikings can't afford that. Mm -hmm. They can't pay Jefferson and Hawkinson and Osborne unless maybe they got rookie quarterback money, Luke. But that's another story. Um, I, I think that Addison makes a lot of sense. It's a high, it's a premium position to draft in the first round. And it just gives you another weapon and another... Uh, way to use your wide receiver, whether it's bubble screens, jet sweeps, getting vertical downfield, getting coverage away from Justin Jefferson. Uh, the evolution of the offense will be a blast to watch, I think, with KOC having learned a thing or two from last season. Uh, what other picks did you like? Because I'll be honest, for the most part, a lot of reaches, man. I mean, Blackman from USC was a huge reach. And, and there's going to be people listening at home say, just stay positive, stay optimistic. Nobody knows, and you're totally right. This just felt like a Flores just saying, forget about the mock drafts and the consensus board. I got to go get my guy. You know, with guys like Darius Rush, Clark Phillips, just sitting on the board, staring at us. I personally was super bummed, but he's a sticky man, cover corner, boundary only. Now, they did say, hey, we like his position flexibility. Maybe they want to slide him inside. But last year at USC, when he really balled out, he was outside boundary guy 97% of the time. I mean, like 800 snaps out there and like three on the inside. It was crazy. Almost 99 to 1 ratio, really. But he's feisty. I, I, I think fans are really going to love this pit bull demeanor that he plays with. Got to have a little bit of swag at the cornerback position in the NFL. Um, I'm just super, super curious, Sam, what the secondary is going to look like in camp because 
don't forget, Flores loves to roll in the dying defense. And I think you end up seeing a lot of maybe three safety looks even outside of that. Maybe some three, three, five sub packages with Lewisine, Harry, Cam Bynum, maybe Lewisine and Harry in the box, or maybe even as linebackers. That would be kind of fun. Um, but between Bynum and now Jay Ward from LSU, he's got a ton of flexibility and versatility with guys who can play both safety in the box and cornerback with both outside inside cornerback flexibility as well. And the cornerbacks like Blackman and Murphy, again, specifically, are you going to play him on the outside? Or are you going to play him on the inside? Again, just a lot of different toys here, pieces to the puzzle. I'm just very curious how Flores puts these pieces together. What do you think it looks like in August? We spent a, a good amount of time yesterday on the party kind of talking about how this is one of the biggest question mark uh, cornerback rooms in the NFL. You've got Byron Murphy and then a bunch of competitions, right? Uh, you don't, I mean, Murphy's going to play some slot. He might be your shadow guy, but who is going to be your traditional nickel? I'm not sure we know that. Um, who is going to be your opposite boundary? I'm not sure we know that. I'm not sure that we can trust Jerwan Williams, the pickup from New England, to, to be a significant contributor either. Remember, he's coming off injury. He was never a, a big contributor for the Patriots anyway, so he's going to have to battle for for time. What's Jay Ward going to play? Jay Ward can play four different positions. Where will they settle with him? Is he a big nickel? Is he a box safety, kind of like a, a joker? We just don't know. Um, it, it is a concern, Luke. It's a concern when you have nothing but rookies and quote-unquote sophomores in that room. Um, th this is going to be all about finding what these guys do well, putting them in spots to succeed, not overstressing them, and maybe even rotating them to kind of take off the burden of having to play 70 snaps a game. This is going to be Brian Flores's greatest test maybe ever as a defensive coordinator. Um, you asked my favorite picks or least favorite picks. I, I think Blackman is, is certainly a reach. Um the the comparison with Blackman and Ringo is is stark. When Ringo goes three picks later, Ringo's twenty, Blackman's twenty four. Ringo is six two, Blackman is five eleven. Um, Ringo runs a four three five forty, and Blackman is like in the high four fours. It's it's just a, a stark difference in upside, I think, in who you took versus who you could have taken at the back of the third round. It is positional value to take cornerback, but you also could have taken Darius Rush. You could have taken a lot of other guys that I was personally higher on. So, so this tells me that there's something very specific, Luke, that they liked about Blackman. What, what exactly drew them to Blackman versus all these other prospects? That's that's the big question mark to mm -hmm. me. Yeah, and ultimately, too, you know, if we kind of just give a pass for some of these players and how they played last year, like Cam Bynum flashed a lot under Zimmer, right? And then Ed Donatel comes in, obviously terrible DC last year. Maybe you give him a little bit of a free pass, but if Flores is just going to play or at least start out training camp with his best six guys in the dime, just for example, six DBs, I got a hard time thinking that not only are the big three safeties going to be on the field, Seen Cam Bynum, Harrison Smith, in some way, shape, or form. Don't forget about Josh Metellus, though, too, outside of Jay Ward. So now it's almost like you got five safeties there. Uh, Jay Ward, you mentioned, hey, maybe they try to just maximize and find one good skill set and position for some of these guys. Jay Ward, I worry about 
jack of all trades, maybe master of none. Is he mm-hmm. really great or, or solid at one thing? I'm just not sure. Certainly can help step in, though, when injuries do take place. So great insurance policy. But again, the ceiling there, uh, didn't love the pick. Flying through yeah. the rest of these. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to point out that it seems that th- the the criteria for drafting was actually a little more random for Quazy than it was for Rick. When and I would have assumed that Quazy had like a very strict code, like okay, we're only going to draft athletes that meet these thresholds. We're, we're only going to draft guys that are this age, and he he didn't really do that. Like Rick was kind of all about these athletic traits. Um, Quazy's. T- show that he's totally willing to take guys that don't test as well to take guys that are older. Um, and I, I just find that interesting. Now there are a couple of tells like quasi is taking kind of these bigger school guys that have been tested against quality competition. Um, he does seem to emphasize positional value, whether it's getting cornerback wide receiver, um, you know, defensive line quarterback, but I, I I'm just interested to see that. Okay. The data guy isn't going necessarily off the traditional forms of data that we have come to to attribute to a good drafter in the NFL. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Like, certainly, it was a huge surprise to see Quasey go away from the athletes. You're right, in year two. Like, a lot of non-combine studs and also mm-hmm. a lot of older players, too. So we kept saying, you know, now we'll know a lot more in year two of Quasey's draft what his tendencies really look like. Uh, not really. I think I got more questions than answers because it was almost the opposite of year one. When you look back and look at the swings that he took on high upside athletes, specifically guys who thrived in things like the 10-yard splits, for example. And then also just never felt like any of these picks outside of Dwayne McBride, who we'll touch on here in a second, were really great value either. So really go get your guys. Brian Flores. I can sleep a lot easier at night. I hope fans listening can too, thinking about, Last year, you had to go to bed at night, putting all your eggs in. All right, I hope Ed Donatel knows what he's doing. Turned out he didn't. Brian Flores, he's a different animal, man. I mean, he's got such a strong track record. And if he's targeting specific players for his scheme on this defense, then I think we got to give him the benefit of the doubt and just trust his process. Go get your guys, Flores. And certainly he did that. Uh, Just real quick, flying through the rest of these, I think we'll spend a lot of time on Jaron Hall this summer, so maybe we'll save him. Obviously, one of my favorite developmental guys, I will say that. Uh, Baseball background, dude's got a fastball. Far from perfect, obviously. Dude can sling it, though, man. I think fans are going to love watching a quarterback with some wheels. Dude can scoot at training camp. That's going to be a lot of fun, that quarterback two battle. I can promise you that. Almost 700 yards rushing his final two seasons. The nose tackle from LSU, Sam, might be my favorite sneaky pick of all these guys in year one because Vikes were desperate for some more beef up front, and he's that dude. I mean, he's an anchor versus the run. He's got some serious pass rushing promise as well that just needs to be developed. You saw it, though, and he only started one year, so he never really had that time to really develop and progress as an interior pass rusher. But I'm biased, man, because I'm a sucker for a good nose tackle. I think it makes the defense shine and helps not only everyone around them, the linebackers get free to tackle, everybody else plays better, but also it helps you get into those pivotal third and long situations in the first place where Flores can dial up the blitz. So I really hope for the Vikings' sake, 
that Jaquel and Roy pans out because I think that might be a good pick, even if it's not this year, two, three years down the road. And then finally, still the draft. Everyone's favorite pick in the draft for the Vikings, Dwayne McBride. Here's the bad. If you didn't listen to our live reaction, he mm-hmm. fumbles a lot. I think you said he had nine throughout his career. Yep. Doesn't have the breakaway long speed, so people might catch up to him. We don't know if he can catch or pass block. Doesn't mean he can't. It's just he was never asked to really do those two things at UAB. But I'll tell you what, on first and second down minimum, he's an absolute monster. I won't rip up all the stats, but think Kareem Hunt, Marshawn Lynch light, I guess. Mm. Not 2.0. Like whatever's below 1.0, Marshawn Lynch. All right. I don't want to, you know, raise the bar too high, but the contact balance, the vision, maybe the best in the draft, Sam, outside of maybe Bijan. And what a great running back by committee now, too. I just keep thinking about all these picks in training camp now, once they part ways with Dalvin. Quick two cents, I guess, mm-hmm. on Dwayne McBride and maybe what this running back by committee or rotation, how this whole thing plays out. Yeah. Well, I'm in love with the stats. The the missed tackles forced, the breakaway capability, um, yards after contact. It's all great. It's all great. The, the caution is, and I've learned this over the years, there are a lot of running backs that come along that can can absolutely run, and they can scoot, and they've got this burst, but they can't pass protect. And that keeps them off the field. Because if you are a known liability in pass protection, it it's a tell. It's a tell to the defense, or it's an exposure for your quarterback. So if if he can't pass protect, that's going to be a problem, and he might have to turn into a practice squad guy. Hopefully he doesn't get sniped. But I think if Dalvin's gone, Madison clearly is, is your guy uh, to kind of lead the way. And then maybe Wang Wu kind of stays in that special teams role, and then you roll with Chandler and McBride as your two and three in a three-headed monster and, and just let those guys offer something different to the defense. They each probably bring a different skill set. Um, hit them with different players every other series. I like that idea. Um, I also don't think – I don't really want Madison on the field for every single snap. I'd like to see other bodies out there. So I, I love McBride's potential. He's just got to pass block. I'm always a fan of just drafting one of these running backs on day three every other year. If you hit on them, great. You grind them down for four or five years. Now you got some fresh legs on first and second down behind Alexander Madison. Um, Did Arif happen to mention where he was at on the consensus board? Because he felt like, out of all the Vikings picks, the best value. I think I just... Or did he well, at least mention that he was the best value compared to well, the Arif, board? Maybe not he ranked uh, Well, as I tap dance here, um, Arif absolutely loved the pick. Okay. Said it was his favorite of the draft. I don't know. He might have been a little tongue-in-cheek. Arif tweets every other minute, so I'm trying to scroll down and get back to his consensus board here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and while you look that up, Sam, it yeah. was a loaded class of running backs. McBride, for some people, was running back three, four, five, top five guy. Other people, you know, because of all the concerns, the fumbles, the long speed, don't know if he can pass or catch. It's a pass-happy league. What am I going to do with just a first and second down guy? Running back eight, running back nine, kind of where he ultimately ended up getting drafted. So um, loaded class of running backs is my point. So I got it. I got it here, by by the way. I kind of understand and, and can justify why he got pushed down to round seven. Yeah, he was 137 overall, and wow. the Vikings took him 222, so an 85 pick differential. Outstanding. 
Yeah, absolutely outstanding. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one, man. Absolutely. And this will be for the next five years, Sam, a great test. Obviously, two different scenarios going on. So not apples to apples, but the difference between drafting a running back, not only in the first round, but early, like the Lions just did with Jamar Gibbs and Mm -hmm. waiting until day three, round seven, pick 222 or whatever it was to draft a running back like Dwayne McBride. Obviously, two different total profiles. Again, Gibbs fits the more pass-happy league. McBride, maybe you only see him on first and second down. But again, like you always ask the question, how much did this running back that you picked help you win games? Forget about the stats and the production. Mm-hmm. Did he help you win games at the end of the day? going to be interesting to see and just kind of track along Gibbs and uh, Dwayne McBride over these next four or five years. Mm-hmm. Speaking of value, coming up, we're going to tap into some of the UDFAs for the Vikings and if they possibly found a few diamonds in the rough. But first, don't forget, we're presented by FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of Locked On, America's number one sportsbook and official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Get in on all the action at FanDuel.com slash Locked On. And remember, if you're a new customer, Check out the no sweat first bet up to a thousand dollars in bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Download the easy to use FanDuel app and get your winnings instantly. Guys, they got money lines, parlays, prop bets. FanDuel's got everything you need to close out the NBA season's final stretch. FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of Locked On. This Locked On podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less takeout, cook more at home, but I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. All right, Sam, UDFAs, despite how mild maybe the Vikings rounds one through seven, dare I say, maybe they were the biggest winners of the UDFA department after the draft. Obviously got to temper expectations here. If you even find one full-time starter in this mix, you crushed it. The Adam Thielens are few and far between, to say the least. The Eric Wilsons, et cetera. But Vikings open up their wallet. They get Ivan Pace Jr. and Andre Carter from Army and UDFA, who I'm stunned Pace was still there. If you tell us three months ago, Carter would be there. He was a huge pre-draft crush three months ago for us. I'd just say you're, you're crazy. You're nuts because he was being mm-hmm. mocked in round one. Obviously has a terrible pre-draft process, got bullied at the Senior Bowl, but come on, UDFA for Andre Carter and Ivan Pace? That's just wild. Two studs here for the value. Your quick thoughts on both these guys. All right, Andre Carter was my crush for a while, and we were talking about him early in the process, like first round or day two maybe. Back in January. Ends up being UDFA because the testing was, was really poor. But remember, 15 sacks in 2021 in Army. He's got the right kind of build, 6'5", 260, His agility testing was actually very, very good, Luke. So I'm going to hang my hat on the agility testing and say, I don't need my defensive lineman to run a 40. I just need him to be fast and tight 
quarters. And maybe that's what Andre Carter will do. Ivan Pace led the NCAA in PFF grade for linebackers, pressures, sacks, and run stops. The guy was a production machine, more than Jack Campbell. The problem is 5'10", 230. That's just a very unorthodox height for a linebacker. 5'10 is very small. And if you're an inside backer, like he's not going to be an outside backer at that size. Inside backer kind of nullifies what he can do, I think, in a in a pass rushing role, which he did more in college. So I don't know if that's going to translate. But the production makes him very intriguing. So I can't wait to see what he does at the NFL level. Yeah, here's what I tweeted uh, Saturday night about Pace. State high school wrestling champ. He did have offers from multiple SEC schools. Led the MAC. okay, played at Miami, Ohio before he transferred in tackles in 2021. Led the AAC in tackles and tackles for loss last year. Led all off-ball linebackers in the country with 55 pressures, which that number alone, 55 pressures from an off-ball linebacker, is insane. Led the nation in run stops per PFF, elite run stop and blitzing grades per PFF, was the linebacker practice slayer of the week down at the Senior Bowl. Just flip on the tape, though. Forget about all that. Just watch the tape. He is a rattlesnake. He goes for the kill every tackle. And when you look at this linebacker room, just as it stands today here, Sam, not only was it just great value, I think, in my opinion, but there is a legitimate path out of all these guys, these UDFAs and even draft picks, for him not to just be a special teams ace, which he will be, but have a shot at some serious playing time in year one. Because who's his competition at backup linebacker? Troy Dye and Troy Reader, I think it is. So I think Pace is your 2024 starting linebacker i'm not vault me play it back i don't care if i'm wrong i just think he's that good and there's a path next to i should say brian osamo once jordan hicks that era ends i just don't know why he went undrafted um any more just one more you got one more udfa that you like here's my guy that i love wide receiver kansas state malik Knowles. whoo sam i don't know i was watching this guy's tape didn't do a deep dive I'm low-key excited about this guy. This dude can fly for how big he is, six two and a half. Didn't run at the combine or pro day because he was recovering from a PCL injury. Mm. But people are going to think I'm nuts for this. The the way he moves on tape with how big he guys, the way he makes guys miss. This is Cordero Patterson light. I'm not kidding you. I know I'm nuts. Return man machine, three touchdowns on kickoffs, a 75-yard rush for a touchdown at Kansas State, and leaves KSU ranked fifth all-time in program history with the most all-purpose yards, almost 4,000 yards all-purpose. So um, I think it was just because of the PCL. Granted, I mean, if he was healthy, still a day three guy, but I love what I'm seeing from this guy as a UDFA. Malik Knowles, wide receiver, Kansas State. Your thoughts on him or your one last favorite gem the Vikings found in UDFAs? Yeah, so I had five guys that I put asterisks next to. Pace and Carter, Mm -hmm. Knowles, who I love because he had five years at Kansas State, but he's still only 22 years old. Like he must have, he must have started really young uh, in college because to be only 22 with that much experience, I like that and the size and the the shiftiness. Great acquisition. Two more. Allen Ali, offensive lineman from TCU. He's 24, 
spent four years at SMU, one year at TCU. He's played all five positions, but mostly at center. Uh, some some positional flexibility. They can probably turn him into whatever they need to and uh, plenty of seasoning. And then one more, Thayer Thomas, wide receiver, NC State. Five years of productivity at NC State. A 4.57 isn't very good, but he did have a 37-inch vert, and he's very good at contested catches. Uh, and he's actually coming on the Ron Johnson show pretty soon. We knew uh, Ron knew his wide receiver coach at college, so we'll talk to Thayer Thomas. And uh, the most confusing UDFA, Najee Thompson from uh, Georgia Southern has the lowest relative athletic score I've ever seen. He's only <laughs> 5'10", and he was only a starter for one year at Georgia Southern. He's like a 4'6". Very confused. Don't know what's going on there, but uh, I like those other five. Go get your guys. I got my guy. Great stuff per usual, Sam. That's a wrap today. Remember, like, rate, review, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Join us every day for another episode of The Football Party, your one-stop shop breakdown of everything Minnesota Vikings. That's the man, Sam Ekstrom, on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom. Check him out every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, co-host of the Ron Johnson Show. Thanks for tuning in to The Football Party, part of the Locked On Sports Minnesota Network. We're back tomorrow with the mailbag edition with Reggie Wilson on The Football Party. But until then... I'm Luke Inman on Twitter at Luke underscore Spinman signing out. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.